Heavenly Father, you tell us in the scriptures that when the word is preached, you are speaking to us. Please, will we not harden our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. What do you read, my Lord? Words. 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 Anyone know that? Anyone remember the film, the version that is? That obviously was Kenneth Branagh as Hamlet and Richard Bryars as Polonius. And of course, that little bit of Shakespeare, and there's a bit of interpretation. It's very famous if you Google it. Kenneth Branagh really goes to town on that last one. It's weird. Like, what did Shakespeare mean when he was like repeating words three times? And clearly it's what I'm reading doesn't mean anything. It's just more and more words. And we know about that, don't we? Before Shakespeare came and said that, spin doctors, fake news, microaggressions, hate speech, triggers, news speak, non-denial denials, slogans, placards. We're drowning in a sea of damaging, meaningless, confusing, empty words. It's tiring. It's sad. It's tempting to give up on the whole business of ever saying anything that is unquestionably true. And the psalm today gets it. Do turn to it if you shut your Bibles. Psalm 12, that's what we'll be spending some time in now. So those first verses. Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbours lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. All the bad or empty words we know about are just the tip of the iceberg. Anything we're currently relying on as fact is only one revelation away from being relegated to lies from just flattering lips. Now, uh, those who have been Holy Trinity for some time will remember that in our studies in the Psalms, we've looked at this idea that they're best and first said by the Lord Jesus David was given them by the Spirit, but always as a foreshadowing of words that would best and most completely be said by him. So those first two verses, you can imagine Jesus saying it as he was growing up again and again. That's what it was like for Jesus to live in the world that we know. He would have meditated on this psalm perhaps hundreds of times in his short earthly life. And the world of words that we all recognise is right here, isn't it? Well, as we look at the psalm, it divides into two parts. First four, four verses show us human mouths, those things that produce words. But verse five to eight show us divine words. So we've got human mouths on one hand and divine words on the other. And we'll look at the contrast between them, three different contrasts. Human mouths are depressing and cloying because we have this idea, although our words even aren't quite what we mean or we miscommunicate with someone we love or we say, oh, I didn't really mean to say that. It's like, actually, no, you did. You just are worried you've been found out. That the reason that we get so depressed by our words is because we have this idea that words could be so much better. Or perhaps there's some poem or story or something someone has said and we think, oh, that was just like, that was a, a, a waft of something better before it all got overwhelmed again. Well, Jesus focuses on that 
hope we have that words can be more and gives us a massive expansion of our vision for what words can be and particularly the words we have in our hands this morning. So the first contrast between human mouths and divine words. Small print catch versus simple salvation. That catch in the small print versus simple salvation. And this is looking at verse one and then verse five. Uh, So that first bit, help, it's literally save me. Now, it is fun, isn't it, to watch a whodunit or Downton Abbey or whatever box set it is. And if they're done well, there's some like single protagonist who's sane trying to navigate a web of lies. You know that? You're like, it's a bit like that, isn't it? And, you know, uh, we, we, we like that for a little while, don't we? But actually, there are plenty of other examples in fiction where even the protagonist isn't trustworthy. So Orwell's 1984, there's the feeling in the end that Winston Smith can't turn anywhere, even to himself. This destruction of language and society and communicating is total. While we like those kind of whodunit things, have you ever read all the way through that thing that pops up when you're about to sell your soul to Google? Have you ever read it? Has anyone ever read that? I love the bottom at the end because it's basically the everything button, isn't it? It's like, you could be saying that I have to give you my liver. I don't know. I'm not going to read. You know, it's right. Click. I want what is behind this wall of words. So I'm going to agree to anything. (laughs) Some of the most angry debates in our society at the moment turn on language. You remember that Oxfam style guide that came out a while ago? It was all about redefining language, trying to give us a different way of talking. It was completely alien to everyone. There are all kinds of terms that used to be fine, that are now problematic. It's exhausting, it's complicated. It's shifting every moment, every word we say, someone's gonna catch us out and say, ah, this is what you meant by saying that. You should have said something else. Words are constantly losing their meaning. Compare that to verse five, and we're gonna go for the old Greek version of it. That's okay, and I'll explain why we're doing that in a bit. Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will appoint with salvation. I will speak freely with him. That's what it literally says. So the rescue word is great. It gets a sense of it. New Living Translation tends to be quite free. But it misses this idea between verse one and verse five. So verse one is save me. And verse five is I'm going to make him salvation. It's about God the Father speaking through Jesus to bring salvation. When we're confused by this barrage of intrigues and catches and small print. The Bible is deep, but it's also simple. The Bible is not trying to catch us out or weave us in a web of small print. Anyone who hears the stories of Jesus can understand that life is all about him. I talk to the toddlers every Thursday. They get it. They really get it. When I do like Lego Jesus or whatever, they're like, oh yeah, okay, obviously he's one life is all about. When they read the beginner's Bible that we give them a baptism. And I do hear, just if you're wondering, we may not see some of those families, but they do read that Bible. 
And more often than not, it becomes their kid's favourite book. People get it. They realise life is obviously all about Jesus. A lot of our problems with the Bible come from the complexities we bring to it. Christianity's always been a grassroots thing. Even at the height of medieval England, when this church was full, the services perhaps conducted in Latin, many people not even able to read English if it was put in front of them. You've got these windows, you've got the mystery plays, you've got Christmas carols, popular culture is saturated with Jesus. Everyone knew what Michaelmas was. Everyone knew what you do at Candlemas. It was just all in everything, from the youngest kid to the oldest person, from the person who thickish two short planks to the scholar. There are plenty of non-literate societies today that know all about Abraham meeting God in person in Genesis 18, or about Naaman being cleansed of leprosy through Elisha's ministry. They know about Jesus welcoming outcasts and raising the dead. Now we get stuck on the difficult to pronounce names, or some academic crazily telling us that we have to be experts in ancient Near East, you know, Ugaritic before we're allowed to even read it. That's nonsense. For the global church, this book is astonishingly accessible. And you'll find that if you meet a Christian from another culture who doesn't speak the same language as you. you. I hope you've had that experience. You sort of gesticulate a bit and then you realise, oh yeah, you know Jesus too. Okay, I can read my Bible, maybe you can't, but you still are worshipping Jesus. You get it. The Father doesn't play games with us. Even the complicated bits, and there are complicated bits in the Bible, they actually become very simple when we realise they're about Jesus. That's what we do in Holy Trinity. We read a book of the Bible every month, we come and talk about it, and we ask, what does it teach us about Jesus? And what does it teach us about church? And so much cool stuff comes out of it. And it's not the scholars or the, the brainy, it's, it's the people who wouldn't say they're scholars, who say the really awesome stuff. Yeah, the words we're surrounded by are all about catching you out with small print. But these words, simple salvation. Next bit. Worthless lying lips. Precious, pure words. Worthless lying lips or precious, pure words. And this is verse 2 and verse 6 contrasting. Uh, The neighbours lying to each other. It's even stronger than that. It's everyone speaks worthless things. Now, we know what that's like. We've already spent some time thinking about that. But I've been challenged how easily worthless things trip off my tongue. You can ask Pippi about this. When I say, I'll be down at five o'clock. In my mind, I'm thinking, ten minutes either side. (laughs) And then suddenly, it's half past five and I'm still not appeared. And, okay, it's funny, but it's, it's also not, isn't it? I said that word and it was worthless. Jordan Peterson's a non-Christian clinical psychologist who spends a huge amount of his time trying to help his patients out of a mental mess. And this book that a lot of blokes are taking very seriously, particularly young men who are adrift in the world. So even if we've never read it or we don't particularly like him, like millions of people across the world are having their lives changed by this non-Christian. And what are two of his rules? Non-Christian, be precise in your speech. Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. He speaks about the terrible mental and emotional damage to ourselves when we habitually say what we don't really believe or mean. 
And he ends up quoting the Bible at length. He says it's a distillation of the best human wisdom has to offer. Even though he's not a Christian, he, he basically almost is, just by the way. But he's not yet. We're praying for him. He speaks particularly about the Old Testament in this regard. There's a growing rediscovery that words and ideas that only showed up yesterday in human history have not stood the test of time. In fact, they haven't really been tested at all. An article we read yesterday about Philip Schofield or Rishi Sunak is close to worthless in less than a week. And the philosophies or ideologies which have been around for hundreds of years actually end up as no different in the end when you try and live them. But when we start to dig in the Bible, we discover that our society is still built on words written in these pages. Concept of human rights, the principle of defending the weak and the vulnerable, the virtue of tolerance, love for enemies, the value of truthfulness, the rule of law. Tom Holland's book, Dominion, and a distillation of it by Glenn Scrivener called The Air We Breathe. Many non-Christians are realising if you take this book out of how we build our society, you don't have a society anymore. The sevenfold refined silver of the scriptures is there for the discovery for any one of us. And if we are struggling to believe that, can we at least grasp the idea of a perfect word that can apply to any culture, any time, with equal force, truth and power, of ideas that challenge and inspire everyone, humbling us so we become obedient servants, empowering us as the best contributing citizens, thrilling our minds and our feelings, speaking deep truth into our daily existence. Connecting us with a God who actually exists, revealing his divine life, giving us a share in his son. That might mean looking more deeply into this book than we've looked before. That's why we've done a bit of digging. That's why I will translate the Bible from Greek or from Hebrew. Now, not everyone does that. I expect everyone to do that, but I want to. And it doesn't mean that if we have a translation that turns out to be less than good, Jesus can't use it. A less well-translated version of this is still better than anything we could come up with. But there is value in going deeper. That The sevenfold refined silver, we can get right into it. And it, it's worth doing. There are plenty of words people try and go deep into that prove to sort of melt in their hands when they do. There are people who form Harry Potter churches now. They read reverently from the book and then have a moment's silence to reflect on the profundity of what they've read. There are people who read Simone de Beauvoir like that. And when they do, it just, it's not worth it. Fairly soon you realise, oh, that didn't really work, or they didn't even know what they were saying there, or they contradicted it, like, in a year, by something else they wrote. It just evaporates when you do that with anything else. But with the Bible, people have torn this to shreds in universities, and it's still here. It's still better than anything any human has ever come up with. Worthless lying lips, precious, pure words. The last contrast. Diplomatic immunity versus eternal divine protection. Diplomatic immunity, eternal divine protection. And that's the sort of last 
bit at the end of both the sections three to four and seven to eight. Where does our daily protection come from? Because verse three to four shows one approach. I live by my wits. So let's read it just quickly. May the Lord cut off their flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. They say, we'll lie to our heart's content. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? Now it's possible to get a long way with words. I'm not going to name any particular politician, but you pick your favourite example. Most of what people think of us derives from what we say. It's possible to be really successful at conforming the world to serve us through our words. And the more we get success from doing that, the more we're tempted to join in with that mocking thing in verse 4. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? I can always weasel my way out. Well, compare that to the security of those who turn their ears to the flawless words of God. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed, preserving them forever from this lying generation. We'll all remember someone who was innocent, who was made to look stupid by words. Perhaps that's happened to us. Perhaps we've behaved that way to someone else. Whatever has happened, in the end, only the Lord's words will endure. His verdict, his version of whatever it was that happened. His appraisal of our character. That will count. In Jesus Christ, through his spirit, he gives us a share of his perfect understanding. His perfect version of everything. Only in him can we fully understand what it means to have nothing to hide. To say what we mean and mean what we say. To have nothing to fear from the truth. And part of the discipline we need to emulate to enter that way of life is to have the same obsession with the Bible that Jesus had. A lot of friends have been influential in encouraging me to get serious about Bible reading, reading it three or four times all the way through in a year. And I am doing that uh, just because it's awesome. It's great. There's no pride in that. It's just, it's good. It's like washing your mind every morning. And it means laying aside our assumptions about whether we're a bookish or a wordy kind of person or whether we're academic or clever. That's not the point. These are the only flawless words there are. It's a bit like, you know, you wouldn't go out of your house still in your pyjamas, would you? Some people do now, but generally you wouldn't. And the angels are just as shocked if we go out of our house without clothing ourselves with these words, without washing our minds with truth. Because we're surrounded by lies. We're surrounded by gibberish and emptiness. Persuading us there are no true words. There's something real and concrete. It just doesn't exist. But this says every day is a winnable battle. To be protected by the flawless words of God in our minds and our hearts. Whether we understand it when we read it or not. Just reading it. Literally just reading it. Will be good for us. Will begin to shape how we feel not just how we think. This book has simple salvation, precious, pure words, and eternal divine protection. Let's pray. Father, please will we take you at your word by taking your words seriously. 
Please, would we be able to do that, whatever we think of ourselves, however literate or clever we think we are? Please, would Holy Trinity be a church where we all delight in what you say to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.